Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cupper. I'm John Perry. And today we're asking the question, what is the future of comedy? Uh, so you might recognize the voice of our guest today as the announcer at the top of every show. He's our good friend, Dave Ross. He's a comedian. He's appeared on Drunk History and Tosh.0. He's a Moth Grand Slam winner. And he's the host of another fantastic podcast, Terrified, on the Nerdist Network. So welcome to the show, Dave Ross. What's up, guys? Yeah, it's really exciting to have Dave on the show today. Uh, We've all been friends for a long time. Oh, yeah, a while now. And uh, Dave is a working stand-up comedian, so we thought it'd be fun to have him on the show and have him talk with us about where comedy is going. Yeah, so most of our guests are coming more from the field of futurism or technology, but but Dave is going to weigh in more on uh, the humor side of things. Well, I, I also make websites. So if you guys want to talk about the future of Fox.com, you could do that too if you want. That's, That's true. Right. Dave is multi-talented, but uh, <laughs> we'll stay away from web design oh, yeah, today. <laughs> I worked on Fox.com. Yeah. It took a lot of talent. So uh, the first issue I wanted to bring up is that is cell phone cameras are extremely pervasive now. People have them everywhere, bring them to shows, and... There's been some complaints among comedians recently about having their acts effectively spoiled. Maybe they're workshopping some new jokes and somebody in the audience films it and there's a concern maybe that shows up on YouTube and, you know, spoils a joke. Burns the joke before you have a chance to do it on TV or whatever it is you're planning to do. Exactly. So I'm wondering if you've had any personal experience with that, Dave, or if you have any strong opinions about that, because it seems like a problem that's only going to get worse. I mean, we've talked about on this show before how this portable surveillance stuff is not going away it's only going to get better so i have come across it frequently and i yeah i don't know i have a lot of opinions about it because i like it's weird i been doing stand-up like about almost six years that's a hefty chunk of time but it's not enough time for me to feel like perfected at what i do i mean everyone's always learning and what they do you know what i mean but i still have a long way to go i feel like i'm still working i'm still like I haven't recorded a full-length album. Sure. I'm still, like, honing an act. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't have that many videos online. I have two stand-up videos online. And so I will say, to preface what I'm about to say about technology, I curate uh, my online stand-up video presence intensely. And I'll be at, I've been at a lot of shows where they tape my set and I email them after, and I'm like, please don't put that set online. And it's not because I necessarily did badly. It's because I didn't do perfectly, and I would like to, like, I don't know. You'd like to shape that. It I would sense. like to shape that, absolutely. And I know why these big comics get upset. It's like, partially it's because, like, yeah, like you said, don't spoil my act. Please don't reveal, you know, don't show the sausage being made. I only want, because it's it's hard. Stand-up doesn't really translate to video that well, video and audio, the live element, the like actually feeling your relationship with the comedian is very important to you laughing and enjoying yourself. And I don't really know why you can't feel that in video, but you can't. And uh, you want people to um, think you're incredible. People just like watch your set and they're like, that guy's funny or that guy's not funny. They don't think he's working on material. He had a bad night. They don't think that. Right. People aren't aware of the process. Right. So I know why these famous people are like, hey, don't tape me. And uh, I am certainly doing that right now because I don't want people to <laughs> right. see me 
in development as a comedian who's been doing it for six years, who hasn't learned how to translate himself to video as well as maybe bigger comedians have, right? All that being said, uh, these old dudes need to calm the fuck down because like... Well, I'm not sure posting a diatribe about it does anybody any good, right? <laughs> it doesn't do anyone any good. And technology can we is... Give, should we just give some names of who we're talking about here? I mean... Well, I mean, I watched Pat Oswalt have like a meltdown about this. And I like... Pat Oswalt is someone who's been really nice to me. And so like, he's also been very mean to a friend of mine, Barbara Gray. So right. it's like, I'm conflicted about it. So like, I don't mean to talk shit about a guy that's been nice to me, but he, I watched him like flip out on a woman about being taped. Uh, Mark Barron has spoken out about it and uh, a few other people. And it's like... I heard that Dave Chappelle actually is asking people to check their cell phones at the door it shows. Is that true? Have you heard that? I have not heard that, but that's not surprising. Okay. And like, I think that's for a different reason, though. I could see asking people to check their cell phones at the door. I could see that being a thing that happens throughout the future of comedy. Do you mean so that people aren't looking at their cell phones during the show? Is that what you're getting at? No, but would, that's another good point. What, 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 what was the reason you were thinking of? Because he wants to talk shit. Like, it's I one see. thing, there's a difference between not wanting your talking shit about a bunch of people to get on the internet to make you look bad and not wanting people to uh, ruin the development of your jokes for the finished product of your jokes. Right, right, right. So one is about context, right? Like in the yeah. context of a small club show, uh, it's appropriate to maybe call people out. Yeah. But if that gets on the internet, that's like a diss all of a sudden where you're in a war with somebody. Right, whereas like you could right. just be airing grievances. Right, right. And I would, actually, I would actually guess that in the future, there will be a type of stand-up show where everyone has to check all their technology at the front door and then you go in and it's like a closed circuit that night and everyone like talks a bunch of shit or tells stories that they wouldn't want to be on the internet or well, whatever. Well, yeah, Ted and I have talked before uh, about the possibility of just, you know, blackout bars, yeah, essentially. Yeah, like null spaces yeah. where surveillance is not allowed. So for comedy or jam, like a common thing yeah. in the future, yeah. And this is one of the many things that could take place in a, in a situation like that. But there's definitely like three different reasons you would want that here. I mean, one is, yeah, you don't want people checking their text during the show and like engagement basically, two, yeah. you you don't want to be like caught on camera you know saying something inappropriate that made more sense in context and but three there's this issue of protecting your your intellectual property right which is i think right. the the source of some of the the real well, anger coming that's from, the part yeah. that we need to get rid of we're not going to win that battle yeah you're that's just, where they lose me too yeah you're and the thing is that like even if you would argue that is your intellectual property which it is uh you, uh, you're not going to win. No one's won that battle yet, and well, it's been years. Yeah, and you don't really have a reasonable expectation of protecting your intellectual property when you stand up in front of a crowd of people and say it. I mean, right. you know, you have limited copyrights, obviously. If I go publish a book and try to sell the book with your jokes in them, you can sue me, right? And that makes a certain amount of sense. But if, if you tell your jokes to me and I happen to capture it with my device the law would be on my side not yours uh, also you know I, I mean people are savvier than we're giving them credit for if you look up a band and you find a video of a live set they did shot on a cell phone you're not going to be like well this album sucks you know what i mean like right, people right. don't think that way and that's how comedy is currently treating having your set taped live people understand that for one poor quality video makes you look bad 
and two, that there's a creative process. People are like more and more savvy with creativity and art uh, with every passing moment. Yeah, uh, and I, I think there's cultural solutions too. Like I'm always impressed about how people respect with just fiction, with, with TV shows and with movies, not sharing spoilers. I mean, you know, oh, how yeah. well the internet sort of seems to agree to say spoilers ahead and how people agree not to share that type of information right. ahead of time. And they shame people who, who don't follow these rules too, which I think helps the enforcement. Yeah, and this all spontaneously arises just because of a cultural norm. And I feel like this is very similar. Like if people understand, you know, this is version one of Patton Oswald's joke, uh, it's being spoiled, wait until version three or version four when it's better. I think people will just wait for the same reason sure. that they won't like look up the end of Breaking Bad before, you know, they watch it. One thing that is kind of real is is making money. There's the spoiling it aspect, but then there's the the fact that like if I go see Patton Oswald and he's like running his hour for his album, I'm less likely to buy the album because I saw the hour of jokes as he was practicing it, right? Sure. And I think that's like that's another side of this. That is actually a legitimate worry. Right. But then that's a worry for all of art and culture, all of music. We haven't figured out how we're going to make money on the internet yet. We haven't figured out. And once we do, we have to. There's got to be a reckoning. Well, there are some models that work, right? Uh, which are, you know, some of them are based upon being a huge superstar and, well, that's and asking for money. Well, always been the case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and some of them are based on advertising. But yeah, I mean, this is... This is not a problem just of comedy. This is a problem of any yeah. uh, any art form that can yeah, be monetizing. Easily, yeah, I was just right, talking to my right. cousin. My cousin, uh, his name is Jamie Audley. He runs a company. He's made video games for all kinds of different platforms for 20 years now. He ran a, a company called Lucky Chicken Games for a while that made some good games. And I don't remember what the name of the company is now. But Lucky Chicken made console games and PC games. And now he makes phone games. And he was telling me like, yeah. Something like 95% of the, the people who download his games never pay at all. And it's like he's basically scraping by because now also you're charging a dollar a download for a game. Whereas used to, you used to sell games for 50 bucks and that made sense to people. People don't even consider paying more than $10 for an app and mostly they don't consider more than a dollar. And usually people only download shit for free. Right. So even people making video games are finding it Well, there's difficult. usually something good enough that is free. To me, the issue is with the scarcity of the underlying good. We did a, a podcast earlier on ephemeralization and on how, you know, things are getting digital yeah. uh, and going away from the physical world. And as they do that, one of the things that happens to them is the price trends towards zero. But absolutely, I think artists of all stripes and comedians are certainly included here are sort of on the front lines of this because... The highly competitive nature of it, the fact that many people want to do it already drives the wages way down. I mean, most people don't get paid to go up and do comedy on a nightly basis. You know, only a fraction of the people who do can command money. And it seems to me like as more and more free comedy is available on the Internet because it's been cell phone taped during a set, even getting away from the idea that the jokes might not be in their perfect state or anything... That's a substitutable good for people who, if I'm at home and I'm deciding, do I want to go out to a club and pay $20 to see a show where I have to buy two drinks or something? Or do I want to sit at home and watch on YouTube? Um, it's already at the point where sometimes I might choose to sit at home. You're right that there's uh, a communal aspect and a drunk aspect to comedy that goes away 
that maybe it's not as funny at home, but good VR could fix that potentially. Huh, that's interesting. Like, I wonder if you're right about that. One thing we talked about last episode was how really good VR is going to demonetize a lot of live events because live theater, stand up, things of that nature, you'll be able to be in the theater, in the best seat in the house, hear and see everything, but also look to your left and right and see the other people who are there. Right. Because they'll be logged in at the same moment, like as if it's a, a physical manifestation of a chat room or something. Yeah. And you'll still have the ability if you want to like hear the audience murmuring or not, you know, right. or turn it down. Um, you'll be able to control your experience in a way you can't now, but you'll still have that social interaction that comes with going out to the show. Yeah. And, you know, you sit at home with a beer you bought at the liquor store for a quarter of the price, and maybe that does it. Maybe not. I mean, we'll have to all strap on an Oculus Rift and try well, but, it before we can say for sure. But I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that substituted for a lot of folks. Yeah, that would make sense that that would. But I mean, that would also, that situation that you're talking about, that piece of content that you purchase or that you engage in where you're, that's VR, where you can manage the volume level mm -hmm. of the audience and stuff, that would be like a highly curated piece of content. That would still be something that people were paying for or Maybe. at least were part of a, some sort of- It'd be very cheap to produce though once you have- Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Because that's still potentially, if it's the standard- stand-up model, right? That's not necessarily a recorded act, right? I mean, part of stand-up and maybe stand-up needs to leverage this direction more is is live, is interaction with the audience, is off the top of the head type stuff. I mean, that's a certain portion of what stand-ups do. Right. Uh, and to the extent that that's what you're getting, that's got that's a novel, real-time, in-the-moment thing right. that you're not going to get from a recorded experience. Now, it could be done remotely. I could be at home with a VR headset watching, you know, Dave perform in a totally different state, but I may still be wanting to see like Dave do his act live and in the moment. And, and if it's live, and that's basing scarce. it upon right. what people in the audience are shouting or whatever else. Right. 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 Well, and the main point there is if it's live, you can charge for that because just like yeah. streaming, you can charge for, but downloading, you kind of, that model doesn't work. And the, you know, I VR is going to change what I'm about to say completely. Yeah. But I mean, the biggest, I think, battle for comedy in the next uh, however many years will be making the world realize how much better it is live. Because like, yeah, there are all sorts of ways to get content. And yeah, there's the uh, in the moment element uh, of like, yeah, seeing them talk to the audience or saying something off the top of your head. But you could ostensibly tape that too. You could tape any set. You could always be taping sets and you could just like, Google or like look up on YouTube like I want to see a comic riffing uh, talking about this topic and that's going to happen more and more but the world doesn't realize that being in the room is not the same as watching it on Netflix or YouTube or whatever you don't even think it from the way that you were talking about it no, which no, is I, fine I would agree uh, I would agree with that no I mean I think we we just sort of spun off the deep end into like really good VR and that starts to like you say problematize it where it's like maybe that is as good as being there Certainly, that's the yeah, goal maybe, of VR. Well, right, but we, we don't even know. We don't even know what the technology's like, so it's hard to talk about. But I know yeah. that today, I, if I go to a comedy club and have a beer and sit next to actual people, I am going to laugh more and have a better time than yeah. sitting at my desk with YouTube. Absolutely. But it's like, I would, I would even argue that it's not the people and it's not the beer that do it. It's like, and that certainly helps, like the communal aspect of it. But there is something 
kind of intangible about like being in the same room as a person saying something to you. Like I have been in the room and watched a comedian set and then watched it on YouTube. Well, actually, I can talk about myself. I This is actually a perfect example. I was up for this thing. I was showcasing for something that was kind of important, like getting uh, into like a big festival, I think is what it was. And uh, there were people in the crowd from Comedy Central, right? And it was like a big deal. I had just gotten back from tour. I was like, I got to do well in this, right? I walked out on stage. I had an insanely good set, like amazing. And uh, I was, afterward, all the people that I knew from Comedy Central were like, that was incredible. We're going to, oh man, we're on your we're on your team. We're going to try to get you on this thing. And uh, then I was like, hey, can I get my tape from that night? Because I needed a new, I want a new tape to put online of my stand-up. Right. Uh, and I this watched, is the thing you were talking about before. You want that killer set. Yes, right. exactly. And it was such a good set. And like, I got like literally there were like four people in the crowd who came up to me and just booked me on their show on the spot. And I hate to talk in this like self-aggrandizing way, but it was just an undeniably great set. And so I like, but I get the tape from Comedy Central and I got the tape from the venue. Both taped it. Both tapes sucked and I didn't get the thing because you watch it and it seems like my jokes are bad. And I'm delivering them poorly. It's so bizarre. <laughs> and I could show you the tape and you'd be like, that's a terrible set. And what are you even talking about? It's like weird. And uh, so there's something about that relationship. And I uh, I guess the reason I'm emphasizing this is like this like solution to being taped is not like stopping people from taping us because we can't do that. It's like somehow and live entertainment in general, music, theater, even movies, like like reminding people that it's better to see a movie in a theater. I don't know. We like need to, there needs to be some kind of campaign <laughs> to remind people that their life would be enhanced by leaving their house and seeing live entertainment because it is just so much more gratifying, like a thousand percent the amount of gratification you get. And I think comedy has a really strong argument for that, like stronger than, more a than lot anything of else. other mediums. Yeah. Like I think, you know, Going up against film, I mean, you can say that it's better to see a movie in a theater because the screen's bigger and stuff, but right. I feel like that argument's not as strong as the argument for No, that relationship life. you have with the comedian is is undeniably better, and I, I don't even know why. Uh, <laughs> well, we like, don't really understand comedy, which is actually like, I kind of want to maybe bring up a, a, a different issue, which yeah, well, is let's like... let's go into that now, right? Let's yeah. Let's go into the theory stuff. So, like, uh, like, people have tried to come up with theories for comedy. And how it works. And, okay. uh, you know, there's some older theories that are very obviously wrong that nobody would agree to now. So I'll, I'll jump to the one that seems like the most modern, the most contemporary, the one I find the most compelling, which is benign violation theory, which the easiest way to explain this is just with a Venn diagram, right? You have a circle of things that are like a violation of some kind. Sure. Of people's personal space, of their expectations, social mores, of their expectations. And then you have another circle that's things that are benign and then where that overlap is is where comedy lies right and they can use this to explain yeah. like a lot of different things i mean obviously the fact that you know that's, you were, that's well, why the funniest thing in the world is a kid falling off a skateboard right i think a kid falling yes. off a skateboard is a perfect example of that now if that kid is you right so it's not so benign anymore. Yeah. Like you're the one who just like, you know. Yeah, somebody who's fallen off of a lot of skateboards in my life. <laughs> yeah. I can say that it's no fun to subjectively be the kid falling off the skateboard. But everyone watching you will think it is hilarious. Yeah. I can also <laughs> attest to that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, 
Well, and there's so there's two ways a joke can fail, right? It can be too benign. Like if the kid, if it's a kid that you Which don't is the way know, the family circus fails, right? Yeah, if it's like a kid you don't know and don't yes. care about, and he doesn't have a very bad fall, you're not going to care. Benign. You're not yeah. going to care, right? right? But if it's like your best friend and he like snaps his neck, I mean, obviously that's not funny either, right? <laughs> not so, benign enough. Like the funniest, the funniest <laughs> right. is probably like your best friend falling in a really ridiculous way. That like maybe gives him a bad scrape, but like he's okay. Like basically. with a loud thud, but he yeah. doesn't get hurt. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it also explains tickling. Like it explains why like a stranger tickling you will not make you laugh because that's not benign. <laughs> There's nothing benign oh, about a stranger trying to tickle you. Okay. Right. Um, uh, and they, they also use it to explain like puns. Th- this is where the argument I think is a little bit harder to go along with, but basically that's a violation of language, of what expectations puns, with language, yeah. right? Huh. Um, although some people don't find puns funny. So well, it's not enough of a sometimes violation. Sometimes they're not enough of people, a violation. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes they're too benign. Yeah. Um, but it also, huh. you were talking about like people being caught on tape saying things that are offensive, right? It's because comedians are trying to, uh, on purpose, right, violate sensibilities. Yeah. Sure. And in the context of like a small club, I think, you know, it's telling that a lot of these guys who are so upset about sharing are guys who came up and got famous before cell phones. Like, you've been doing this six years. Your comedy career is about as old as the iPhone is. Yeah. But like Dave Chappelle or Patton Oswalt, they used to have the luxury of being able to do small, warm rooms in known cities like this one. Yeah. Where they could really hone their shit, where they could really be honest with the crowd, where they could say the most fucked up shit they were thinking of. They, they had this luxury and now it seems like that luxury has gone away, which you can see why people would be upset with that. But, you know, I mean, I'm sure we all know this from the internet. Like, you can't get away with on Twitter the kinds of things you can get away with sitting around talking to your friends because people will become offended and yeah. people will become angry with you. And they have the means on Twitter to make that a problem for you. So it's. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that <laughs> kind of goes back to what we were talking about with with live performance. And maybe right, we're like right. that intimacy. Yeah. Well, if we're talking about violation versus benign what's benignity is that the, oh, oh like what's the noun version of uh, benign yeah uh benignance i don't think there is <laughs> the, a uh, noun version benignness um, benignness is fine i'll accept sure. that um it's, if that's the theory we're going by then uh oh man that is a very frustrating thing about the social networking presence in comedy and in the world in general because people do get very upset when they're offended. It takes and the all reason, the benign out of the violation, it doesn't it? <laughs> all the, the, the benign out. Well, and it's because in a live show setting, there's a layer of context built. Yep. You could even, there's a layer of context built simply by being in the room with the person, mm-hmm. not even because they present themselves in some way, because you're in the fucking room and you realize they're a person. You know how like, and this is a thing I wish I could talk to yeah. everyone who's angry on the internet about. Right. You know how like, you're mad at your friend and you're in a fake argument with your friend in your head because of some like frustration you've built up over time. You're like mad, you're bitter at them about something like they didn't do the dishes. They never do the dishes because they don't respect me or whatever. Right, you're right, thinking. right. And then you see them when you get home and you're like, oh, hey, man, what's <laughs> up? Because you remember that they're just a human being. Like just seeing them reminds you that like they're not out to get you. You know what I mean? They're not like like some evil you blow a person's personality out of proportion when you don't have them in the room and that was like the way that i was talking about it was an extreme way of talking about it but that's what people do online too yeah yeah With a, com- a comedian in front of you making a joke about abortion you're like clearly this person 
doesn't think all babies should be aborted or what he's saying that is like offending you. But like you read the quote on the internet or you see a video and you're like, ah, and like the context is gone. There's no benign. It's just a violation and you're angry. And uh, that's like another big problem in comedy. I mean, especially going by this theory. I think that, I think that this theory is correct in a lot of ways. I don't think it's correct 100% of the time. Sure. And it's Uh, just the best one that I found. It just, and it's, it's also pretty vague because you can classify a lot of things as violations and benign like they're big categories well they're Absolutely. all very you subjective could, you categories. could come up with a lot of things that aren't funny that fit that you know um that sure. aren't funny that are both benign that are and both benign and a violation of some kind but and you could argue oh well it's too much this or well too and much that, that is uh, the so, best argument against that theory as a matter of fact because yeah, if cr- it were a valid theory then it would everything that was a benign violation would well be what funny. would be i mean i don't i don't know if you guys can actually think of something that would fit in that category that is not funny, but is both benign and a violation. Um, I mean that, I, I don't know. Yes. I, I think if you, I suspect I could, if I sat down and thought yeah. about it, it's hard to intentionally think of things that are not funny. Uh, but well, I, right. I could write down a couple of things that I thought were funny well, and then realize a few of them weren't so and I bet they general, would that like I guess right. anything could hypothetically be funny in the right the other side of right, that. Right. Yeah. Well, and one of the, you know, they have done some, some studies on this of, of trying to show that this is the case. Right. Um, and actually this overlaps a lot with the old sort of principle of, you know, tragedy plus time. So they actually right. did do a study around uh, hurricane Sandy where uh-huh. they, uh, somebody was running a Twitter account. <laughs> Scientifically determined when it was too soon. <laughs> you know, here's what they did. Right. So, so somebody had a Twitter account where they were pretending to be the hurricane and they were like talking all kinds of, trash about like the stuff that like the starbucks they were gonna like destroy and stuff oh that's funny um actually the tweets are pretty funny um and uh that twitter account started when they knew the hurricane was coming but before it hit so they took advantage of this situation to do the study right so they took these hurricane sandy tweets these jokes and they showed them to people before the hurricane hit you know after the hurricane hit and like a you know a week later, a week after that, a week after that, and they charted you know how funny people found it, and you found saw pretty much the trend you'd expect, right? People thought it was pretty funny before the hurricane hit, <laughs> right after the hurricane hit, not so Craters. funny, <laughs> and then right. like it goes up and hits this peak at about thirty days after, right? And then it starts to drop off because no one cares anymore, right? Right? So uh, <laughs> I mean, none of this is like mind blowing. I mean, this is all kind of something we sort of understand about comedy but it's it's interesting to actually see somebody trying study to it. trying to graph it and yeah, study it sure. yeah which is to say if we could actually understand some kind of theory of comedy of how it worked well then comedians would really be in trouble right cuz then you could start to write jokes with a with a computer sure um which for now and I have some that I can read to you there are attempts to write jokes with computers <laughs> and uh the way that they have to work is they have to use like really strict formulas right so uh there's a bunch of these jokes written by this program called manatee that are like of the format you know i like my blank like i like my blank you know so like oh man <laughs> i'm just i'm not going to subject you to too many of no, them no no but... no subject me to many of them <laughs> okay. i want to hear these this sure. is your future dave so yeah clearly this is my competition yeah so exactly what... <laughs> this is what's going to be putting you uh, out of work yeah don't worry everything's putting me out of work right now Comedy itself is putting me out of work right now. It doesn't uh, pay. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it pays on the road like a little bit. <laughs> but that's just because they don't know. 
<laughs> they don't yet have computers in Kansas. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, let's hear these right, fucking robot it. jokes, Robot man. jokes. I like my relationships like I like my source open. <laughs> Not good, right? Wow. Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. It's good if you think about open source yeah. a lot. I like that one because it was related <laughs> to computers, kind of. It sounded like me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like my periods like I like my verbs. Irregular? I don't understand that joke. The thing is that you you probably don't like e- either of those <laughs> things. That's the problem with that one. The computer wasn't smart enough to know that regular was probably the right punchline. <laughs> Definitely, I don't understand that. Regular periods, like menstrual cycles. Oh, I was thinking of punctuation. Oh, yes. Um, that one also might more make more sense if said by a female voice. Right. I, I like my periods <laughs> like I like my what? Verbs. Irregular. Uh, oh. <clears throat> yeah. It's rough. <laughs> yeah, the computer's it's really, really yeah. failed here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is definitely five minutes at the computer well, open sure, mic. Like they, they, <laughs> that computer's concept is that humans uh, uh, think about verbs in their regularity and irregularity often. You know, well, it's just I just the, didn't have that yeah. definition in my head. Like, yeah. I know what it is now. I'm sure that if the computer was here, he would tell me that I screwed up the delivery. So, <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Let's see. Here's here's one that makes more sense than that. I like thrills like I like flights cheap. It's not funny, but yeah, it makes more sense. It's just like a reality of life. Okay, here's here's <laughs> one here's one that's more of like a question and answer structure, which I think is usually a funnier structure anyways. Uh-huh. What do you call an American state that has a lip? Okay. Mouth Carolina. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that made me laugh, but that's just a pun. That's <laughs> like a, pun. a bad pun. It's, but it's a computer-generated bad pun. I but I laughed at it because it failed at being a pun. That's why I thought it was funny. It violated because it sucked by being bad. That's yeah. the thing. Is like that's a type of violation. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. Ca- Mouth Carolina is kind of a good pun. No, but it's like a yeah. No, it's not. What's because your criteria for judging the pun? It doesn't even rhyme with it, north or sa- oh, south. Oh, south. Oh, I guess I wasn't even. Okay. Uh, that's but, literally why I laughed because I was like, that's not even a, uh, the word. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's like a shitty. Shows that you don't like, think South Carolina is a real place. I don't. We're going to get a ton of hate mail from South Carolinians thinking yeah, yeah. that that's uh, too much of a violation. Most of your audience lives in South Carolina. Oh, yeah. It turns out. Yeah. We have no listening idea. listening to this in a church in South Carolina. So anyways, yeah. We I mean, have nerds in South Carolina, we, but we have a, a listener there. I don't think that uh, comedians are in danger anytime soon. Yeah. Of being the, automated. Because these are bad. I mean, I think there's more of a possibility of something, say, like if you had really good software that could reach into a video and transcribe text, right? Like let's say you wrote software that just scraped YouTube and listened for all the times when it found laughter and then re- <laughs> And then did a rewind <laughs> and function stole the jokes. And, yeah. and found what was said right before people laughed and transcribed it, right? Like you could, you could just like scrape the internet for jokes, right? And sort of steal them and, or transform them. And I, I can imagine some kind of software like that maybe, maybe working, but of course that's all highly illegal. So, so but this does also doesn't account for delivery. You know what I mean? Uh, right. And timing, which is part of delivery. Sure. Uh, and that also doesn't factor into the benign violation theory. The idea that like, well, I guess it would fall in. It could. 
the way that you deliver something could make something more or less of a violation or more or less benign. But I, I can like write a joke and deliver it one way and it'll do well and deliver it another way and it won't do well to the exact same audience. So it's hard and, to say with, without an example, but under the surface there, there might be some issue with like, you know, you say it in a more playful way and it's more... It definitely is. I mean, like I brought that up because Pat Oswalt, we were talking about earlier, had a guy, has had people steal his jokes and do them in public and claim that they're their own and eat shit. And it's because like, I mean, you have to have like a good vehicle. You have to have a good delivery system for jokes for them to work because there's just something to be said about a human personality and a human connection and people understanding the source of the material. It's like, it's a necessary, it's a mandatory part of stand-up comedy. Honestly, I don't know why this is the case and I don't know what the best delivery system is for my jokes. I was telling you before we started right, right. recording that I had two kind of rough sets last night. And like, yeah, that's the thing that I'm working on the most. Like, what is, how do, what do I need to do to make myself the best for my own material? Well, how am I the funniest me? Um, and so like, I think maybe you're right about computers being able to scrape YouTube for content and finding jokes where the laughter is, but they would also need to be building an algorithm for like, how to deliver these things, what the timing would be, what the voice you use. Computers would need to literally like hone, a robot would need to hone its stand-up voice, which is what comedians are always searching for and working it on. It seems like a super hard problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I think it's... Uh, have you seen, I'm sorry for interrupting, have yeah. you seen this episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where Data tries to learn stand-up comedy? <laughs> no. Uh, you, yeah. No. You should. <laughs> oh god, I'm imagining that right now. Oh man, it's great. I it's can't, great. I'm they my... they uh, build a comedy club in the holodeck called like Charnox Comedy Cave <laughs> or something, and uh, and no shit, Joe Piscopo walks out to teach him stand up comedy because Whoopi Goldberg is a character on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yes. She's like some kind of oracle, and she's having a conversation with Data, and she's like, "No, Data, humor." And he like. I does not compute or whatever he says. And she explains humor to him and he can't understand because he doesn't have an emotion chip or whatever happens later. Now that's then, something that I find silly, but, but yeah, but go on. But yeah. And then Joe Piscopo tries to teach him delivery and such and whatever. It's what we're talking about. You should watch it. No, no. Everyone I, who likes comedy should watch it. It's an absolute failure of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> but like, again, maybe it's, maybe it's, violating and how bad it is and then maybe that makes it funny right yeah so yeah i i I guess really quickly before we we finish i wanted to come back to because we are talking about cell phone cameras spoiling acts and sort of the potential downside of when you're sort of working on material and that whole process which you've alluded to several times like you just mentioned refining your voice which is like a real just experimental i think for most comedians like throw shit at the wall see what works type of thing um, and obviously the downside is that that sort of messy process getting exposed when you don't want it to. Right. But isn't the flip side of that sort of crowdsourcing that process More with, feedback. A, with a wider audience? Like I know yes. it seems to me like a lot of comedians like use things like Twitter as like testing beds for jokes, right? Yes. Which is something that would be completely impossible in previous times. So I wonder like what what you think of that, of like leveraging the technology to like Im- yeah. speed up that iteration. That's exactly what's going to happen. And uh, and hopefully comedians, as we move on, will chill out about 
your stuff being on YouTube, cell phone cameras more and more? Because even if your sets are being taped by cell phone cameras and people can see the sausage being made, it's still like the release mechanism for that video from that person's cell phone camera is so much less intense than whatever release mechanism you're using for your album coming out, whether it's Netflix or Comedy Central or whatever is putting it out. Uh, what I'm saying is there's so much material. so many more people yeah. are going to see your right. special than that cell phone video that it's almost like you said, just like a few more people were in the room and can comment and like give you feedback on your content. It's like not it. It's a nominal amount of extra people are going to see it because someone taped your set on their phone. Maybe every now and then it'll be someone you know, famous does it and like it blows up and maybe you would get pissed at that person. Right, right. That's what I was just uh, thinking is if you're big enough, if you're Patton Oswalt size, then ostensibly people are searching YouTube for you yeah. and th- and you might surface. Uh, and then you should maybe curate. And then, right. You would want to at least be able to curate like what the first couple of search hits are or something so that people see your good stuff first. Yeah. But if well, it's no. somebody like you, you know, obscurity is your enemy. The more people who see you doing anything... Those people now know who you are. Also, there are, you know, <laughs> there are like numerous, there are countless examples of this, like helping comedians right. in a huge way. And there are a couple big ones like Bill Burr. Bill Burr is one of the most famous comedians in the world. Most people know who Bill Burr is now. And he's only a comedian. He's only a stand up. He's only ever done stand up. He was in Breaking Bad and stuff, but that was after he blew up. And he, he was big. He's been big for a little while putting out our specials, but the, the reason everyone knows who he is is because he did a set on the Opie and Anthony tour in Philadelphia that someone taped with their cell phone of him bombing. And it was him like, you should look it up if you haven't seen it. It's like one of the best videos of stand-up on the internet, if not my favorite to watch. Because he, Philadelphia is like uh, an awful place to do stand-up in a lot of ways. I've, I've never done stand-up there, but, like, everyone says that... Is that it a humorless town? It's a rough like, town, right? No, it's a rough town. It's, it's a, a rough, rough place. People They're are, like, impress me. They Fuck jive. you. <laughs> shut up. You know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, literally... And I, I, I'm not going to say... There's no way that the whole town is like that. But this show, literally, it when the video opens, there's, like, 11 minutes left in Bill's set, and he's been doing 20 or 30, and the whole crowd is booing. And he's in a stadium. So it's like <laughs> a thousand people going, boo, fuck you. Like tons of people. And he's, and a, apparently the story is it's like a bunch of big comics around the Open Anthony tour and they've all walked off stage. None of them have finished their entire set because they're just like, I can't even do my jokes. They're just booing me for no reason because they're drunk and they're from Philadelphia, and they're fucking angry. <laughs> and they know? want this show to start. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or they want whatever. I don't even know what or, they want. Or they just want whatever. They just That's want funny. to be booing. Right, they just right. want to like eat their pretzel and be angry. Right. And uh, so like, <laughs> that's a very dismissive set thing I said that I'm going to now say about people that I hate. They just want to eat their pretzel and be angry. You just want to uh, eat your pretzel and be no, angry, you don't wanna... you? I'm not even <laughs> holding a pretzel. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. So they're booing, and Bill Burr is on stage going like, I'm not getting off stage. I'm doing my whole time. So you guys can boo there, sit there and boo and be angry, but fuck you. I'm and he counts down his set. Ten minutes left, and then he, he like insults their hockey team, and then he's like nine minutes left. You got a baseball team, then he makes fun of their old baseball team, and then he's like he gets down to like five minutes left, and he's like, ah, all right, what do you have? Any, you have a ping pong team, you pieces of shit, and he just like shits on Philadelphia while being booed by like a thousand people. 
And then at the end, he's like, and I am selling my DVD at the end of the set. <laughs> he's, it's just like incredible what he does. And that made him one of the most famous comedians in the whole world. And there's like millions of views of this video. And Bill Burr wouldn't be as famous as he were as he is now without that video. So I don't know. We should also it does other great things, like that guy taping Hannibal Burris's set right. with his cell phone wouldn't right. wouldn't that, have made Bill Cosby like have to own up to like the horrifying serial reality that yeah. he's a serial rapist. Yeah. Uh and now, which like, everybody knew and had been talked about many times before, and for some reason, it and just for some hadn't reason, it just was the right moment and the right time, yeah. and and that video uh, sparked a whole new conversation about it. Right, like something's actually getting done. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, I don't know. I think that it's going to start being just like an integral part of comedians interacting with their audience and the world. And there will be negatives, but there were negatives of there not being cell phone cameras before. Absolutely. Just like we just said, like it. Some people like. If cell phones existed 30 years ago, who knows what comic would have gotten big instead of the comics that got big. It's just like the same thing with Twitter existing. Comics are now getting paid to write that would never have been discovered were it not for them opening a Twitter account. Bo Burnham became famous because he was like 17 and making videos in wherever he's from, Nebraska. You know what I mean? Um, it creates as yeah. many opportunities as it, as it destroys. Probably it more. probably doesn't destroy any. It's just like anything. It's just like the reason content it's so difficult for content to be monetizable is because the market is saturated there's just so much more content creators you have to work harder to rise to the top well before we finish uh dave do you want to like share where people can find your work oh sure yeah i uh my website is dave to the ross.com and on twitter i'm at dave to the ross and like you said at the beginning my my uh podcast is called terrified and you can find it on nerdist.com and that's a really great podcast. So yeah, I we'll link to that. Um, John's you band to that. is the uh, has the wrote the well it, one of their songs is the theme song for the show. Uh, this is true. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah, let's. Uh, We're gonna wrap this up. Yeah. Thanks very much for coming and talking with us, Dave. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. Um, this was really fun, and um, we will we'll see you guys in two weeks. Thanks for listening. You told a joke. Yes. I am not laughing. Yes. Perhaps the joke was not funny. No. The joke was funny. It's you, Dave. I agree. What do I do? Well, under normal circumstances, I'd say seek a higher power. But in your case, probably a smarter computer's in order. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.